Discover FX's Shogun, the official podcast available now. Every legend begins with a story. Listen and explore episode by episode the story of war, passion, and power set in feudal Japan. Join host Emily Yoshida each week with the creators, cast, and crew in this exclusive companion podcast. They dive deep into the twists and turns of the plot, go behind the scenes, and explore the real-life history that informed the limited series based on James Clavell's best-selling novel. Search FX's Shogun wherever you listen to podcasts. Tax season is approaching, bringing potential extra cash your way. Rather than spending it all on an expensive deal filled with yada yada from your current wireless plan, consider switching to Metro by T-Mobile for no contracts, no credit checks, no surprises, and nada yada yada you don't take yada yada in life don't take yada yada from your wireless provider metro by t-mobile has no contracts no credit checks no surprises and nada yada yada stop by one of over six thousand metro stores nationwide this episode is brought to you by alienware during dell tech fest score game-changing innovations with limited time deals on select next-gen alienware gaming tech new dimensions await with advanced gaming systems like the alienware m18 laptop powered by an intel core i9 processor featuring awe-inspiring visuals liquid cooling three-dimensional audio with dolby atmos and impressive overclocking potential your dream setup amazing prices and free shipping await you for a limited time only at alienware dot com slash deals that's alienware.com slash deals hey sarah i love that spring break vlog you posted on zigazoo omg you watched it yeah it was so cool i think you're so talented social media is only positive with zigazoo the world's largest and safest social media network for kids in zigazoo all community members are verified kids like yours and all content is fully human moderated Try out Zigazoo this spring break. Download the Zigazoo app today. From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. A production of iHeartRadio. Hello, welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. My name is Noel. They call me Ben. We're joined, as always, with our super producer, Alexis, codenamed Doc Holiday Jackson. Most importantly, you are you, you are here, and that makes this stuff they don't want you to know. Let's start in January of 1961. Although this isn't really where our story begins, on January 17th, 1961, an outgoing U.S. president named Dwight D. Eisenhower spoke to the American nation in his farewell address. Now, as uh, history buffs know, Eisenhower was a military guy. He wasn't a diplomat. He wasn't kind of, you know, like a, a lawyer or something. He wasn't given to prevarication. He didn't gild the lily very well. He was pretty blunt in his uh, speech that day, and he issued the following warning. In the councils of government, we must guard against the acquisition of unwarranted influence, whether sought or unsought, by the military-industrial complex. So we've heard that phrase. That phrase has uh, come up in our show pretty often before, right, guys? The military-industrial complex. Oh, yeah. It's a bit of a buzz phrase at this point in history, I would say. Yeah, and it, it means a great number of things. 
and to have Dwight D. Eisenhower, a a man who knew his stuff, speaking about it in that way, was certainly a warning. Yeah, a warning that would go on to become uh, infamous and tremendously impactful, especially as uh, more and more of the public became aware of the truth behind the 34th president's words. Because for a long time, you know, uh, the heads of business and the heads of politics and the heads of the military knew about this agglomeration of influence. But, you know, like the average person in Nebraska maybe wasn't so aware of what went on in the halls of Washington, uh, especially fun fact, uh, that speech is edited. And I don't know if everybody knows that Eisenhower had kind of a shaky relationship with Congress and his original speech had the phrase as military industrial congressional comp complex. doesn't have the same ring to it. We can just add a tiny bit to that, right? Just to discuss how the constituents of uh, a senator or a congressman may have an interest in that whole military industrial complex side. Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah, because you're supposed to serve your constituents. The problem is uh, defining constituent gets kind of sticky, right? Do you think it was removed as to not throw Congress under the bus? Because, I mean, is, is it said in, as a negative? It's, it's a negative, right? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a negative. Well, it has the potential to be a huge negative. And it's, it's removed for uh, any number of speculated reasons. It could have been removed uh, to, you know, be an olive branch to Congress or to avoid uh, poking their particular legislative beehive. But, uh, but either way, we're not here to talk about the military-industrial complex today. We have plenty of episodes that mention aspects of it. Please check them out. Instead, we are talking about another similar phenomenon that you have definitely seen, even if you don't live in the U.S. You have definitely been witness to this, and you may not have known exactly what was going on because it's the stuff they don't want you to know. Today's episode, folks, is about something called the military entertainment complex. Uh, here are the facts. To answer that question, we first have to say, well, what the what the hell is this? Is it like a uh, is it like a high rise entertainment center where you can go and like get a day pass and, and get an Abrams tank? Uh, there's there is a place where you can ride a tank for fun here in Georgia. Maybe uh, just an elaborate uh, paintball course. See, yeah. to, to me, it sounds like an arcade, like a dope right. arcade. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like you get all the. Uh, you can also get some. Uh, simulators, right? Like you can get a virtual Apache flying machine. You right. can uh, do all the space camp stuff. I, I, I'm still mad that I couldn't get the budget uh, from, from our bosses to ride in the tank. I should have done a better <laughs> job pitching it. I was just like, let's get in the tank. And all the arcade machines are manufactured by Lockheed Martin. There you go. Right. Or Pratt Whitney. The ones that blow up are made by Pratt Whitney. Yeah, but, no. but that's that. <laughs> joking aside. That is not what we're talking about here. Right. Guys. We're we're talking about the relationship just just as with the military industrial complex. It is the military as, you know, one large thing and all the, the branches of that military working together with the industries that create the things that are necessary for that military to function. Right. Exactly. This is this is the military, again, as a thing with the branches, but working with the entertainment industry in some way. 
Yes, in multiple ways. We're talking feature films. We're talking VR and AR, virtual and augmented reality. We're talking uh, multimedia video games, music videos. We're talking television. In, here in the U.S., for a long time, it's been common for the armed forces to work directly with production companies in all, in all areas of the media to supply things like troops, gear, equipment, logistics, uh, even some modeling, for instance, in the case of video games. This is, this is a symbiosis of a sort, which would be common to everybody from your high school biology. There are five types of symbiotic relationships, right? We all remember them. Mutualism, commensalism, predation, parasitism, and competition. This would be, um, when, when it works for every, everyone involved, this is mutualism. The, uh, the production company saves a lot on budget, and the military gets a lot of goodwill. So, of course, it makes sense. And this is not a huge secret. A lot of people don't know about it, but it's not a huge secret. Uh, what do I mean when I say that? The Department of Defense has a statement about it on its website. They're excited. They think this is a great idea. Yeah, that's right. Their official position on this is that they've been working for nearly a century to, quote, accurately depict military stories and make sure sensitive information isn't disclosed. So it's kind of a quid pro quo situation. Like, you know, uh, let's say a big production needs, you know, some kind of military, you know, set piece. Uh, that stuff's very expensive and also would probably require some sign off from the military in general. So this is sort of like a we'll help you out. You help us out. We kind of help guide the way you depict our brand, because let's be honest, the military is a brand, especially in this context, and uh, you get free tanks or whatever for your, you know, tentpole movie. Yeah, so there. Uh, let's take an example from L.A. So this happens a lot in Hollywood. There's an Army Lieutenant Colonel who is the director of the L.A. Office of the Chief of Public Affairs. His name is Tim Hyde. And Hyde says, we take both of these roles very seriously, meaning accurate depictions and keeping the secret stuff secret. Uh, his office isn't in charge of the entire armed forces in Hollywood. His office just focuses on the stuff for the Army. And every other branch of the armed services, including the Coast Guard, mm -hmm. has its own office in Hollywood just for this stuff. I mean, we can talk. I think we all were, were kind of thinking about this uh, as we're gearing up for this episode. But we can talk pretty easily about feature films and fiction that we've seen here. Because I, I think feature films are probably... Um, probably the stuff that people most easily recognize this complex from. Well, the, one of the first things I think about is just how cool big action movies are when some tanks show up, like some actual tanks. And you're looking at the screen, you can tell it's an actual tank, especially movies from my childhood where computer graphics weren't as sophisticated, where you you know, oh, that's an actual Huey helicopter. That's, oh, that's an actual you know, if you're thinking about Top Gun, that's an actual, I think it was an F-18. Oh, maybe mm -hmm. it was a Tomcat. Mm -hmm. I don't know. But no, I don't that was the name of the actor that was in Top Gun. 
but yeah, but you, when you know that it's a real thing, it just makes it that much cooler. And what, what I end up remembering are the times when the military in some form or fashion comes in and saves the day, such as in Jurassic Park three. Do you guys remember that movie at all? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> Was that the one with the uh, pterodactyls? Yes. All the pterodactyls are in Jurassic Park three. In the aviary and, and, and they like walk like weirdly, like they're on crutches or something. I remember that part and it looked really awkward. Yes, but but I have a very vivid memory of the end of that movie when they're on, I want to say they like come back to the a beach area where they're just trying to get the heck off the island. They're hoping they're going to be saved. And then there's just some dude standing there on the island in a suit. I think maybe I'm wrong. I think that's what happens. And then all of a sudden the military shows up, I'm assuming the Navy, in these, uh, these, these, they look like APCs, but they can, they're, they function in water as well. And they just roll up with a bunch of military personnel and save the day and get everybody off the island. Mm-hmm. And that's a, that's a common trope. You know, I remember, uh, I remember watching Independence Day, the original Independence Day, saw it in the theaters, thought it was kick ass. Uh, and you know, it, it's one of those things where we don't worry too much about the plot holes. Like how did that guy from Jurassic Park also end up in Independence Day? You know what I mean? It's a shared like, universe. Why is everybody in the, in those films acting except for Jeff Goldblum? And what an interesting life he leads, aliens <laughs> and dinosaurs. But the, the military plays a huge role in Independence Day. And just like your point, Matt, there are at length depictions of actual military craft. You know, we see the jets, just like in Top Gun. Uh, we see uh, uniformed individuals carrying out their duties and operations. And you can still see, of course, you can see this in blockbuster action films. It's amazing, and it's it's so expensive. Like, if you look at... Okay, you can think of those obvious examples. Top Gun is probably one of the most famous examples, but there are a ton of the movies in the 80s, 90s, and the modern day that do this. Apollo 13, Red Dawn, Black Hawk Down, of course, but then there's other stuff you might not have thought of, like the Transformers franchise. All of the films in the Transformers franchise benefited from the military entertainment complex. Yeah, a great place to see it is the types of disaster movies, like Towering Inferno or whatever that have been what around that? since the San Andreas or something like that. Something like that. It was about the fault. It's about the fault. I don't remember. There's so many and it's such a well-worn trope. It's been around forever, but there's always an opportunity for folks to get rescued from a burning building by military personnel. And, and you're right. They, they always look like the heroes. Uh, I, I got to ask you before we get into it. Do, do you think movies like Apocalypse Now had military uh, cosign where it kind of makes the military look bad and sort of shows the flaws that can arise from leadership? leadership and people that go power mad? I would think maybe not. Excellent question. So there are, of course, uh, you know, we have to ask about the opposite of this practice. So there are, of course, many films, uh, many also in the United States that put the military in less than a positive light to Apocalypse Now. I was thinking of that one because I'm such a huge fan of that, um, that story, but I was also thinking of Full Metal Jacket which itself is, is a somewhat damning uh, condemnation of uh, the, the effects that war can have on people. Those films were still, were still made, obviously, to great acclaim, uh, but did they have that same level of help? As we're going to see, um, not, not exactly, not exactly, because this practice is cyclical. Uh, funding for 
uh, U.S. productions of this sort actually went down in the 70s because U.S. audiences were so very fatigued about the ongoing conflicts in Vietnam. And, of course, uh, the fact that the war in Vietnam was one of the first times the American public saw uncensored footage of what happens on the ground during a hot conflict. So, yes, uh, there there are caveats, and they're, they're really what today's episode hinges on, the implications of those caveats and the employment of those. Some, some version of this practice, how it's so old, some version of it dates all the way back to 1927. A little bit of lore for the movie buffs in the crowd. Uh, the first year of the Academy Awards, 1927, the Army helped with the production of a silent film you may have never heard of. It was called Wings. It has nothing to do with the sitcom. It was about World <laughs> War I fighter pilots. Uh, this film went on to win the very first Oscar for Best Picture. Uh, so this is this is like a known thing. And there's a guy named Tom Secker from an outfit called Spy Culture, which does great work. Uh, he was able to compile a list. He set out to say, like, to say, let me make the most comprehensive possible list of just feature films that have employed, that have benefited from this relationship as of... His list, which uh, was current as of 2016, contains more than 400 different films that were made uh, with some form of uh, cooperation or collusion with the Department of Defense. Wow. 400 films. Now, I, I want to add in one extra little piece here just that I found, Ben, and just want to talk with you guys about it. To my understanding, there was very much a position of the various militaries, especially the army where they didn't want to fund or work with films where the bad guy wasn't extraterrestrial or a monster or some big bad thing for quite a long time. It was, they were generally looking at pieces that would highlight the actual military operations or, you know, possible military op operations. And then when, when, when the Marvel Cinematic Universe and then a little bit before that became so popular, they were just noticing that, well, it, it doesn't matter who, what the opposing force is as long as the military itself and the operations look legitimate and correct and the the military is placed in a good light. Yeah, they're, they're the protagonists are aiding the protagonists in some way, shape or form. Right. They're the cavalry coming. You know what I mean? And those, I mean, those are militaristic tones or intentions that we see in things that might not ostensibly be war stories even, or military stories, just stories that involve a conflict where you need the best of the best to intervene. And who is that in the third act? Well, if you play your cards right, it's the U.S. military and it saves you a ton of money on production. Uh, but as, as it saves you money as someone making the film. If you live in the U.S., it very much does not save you money. Spoiler alert. Uh, but this this happens in other things that I, I think a lot of people don't – we don't think about. So it happens in television. It happens in talk and even game shows. Like there are so many unscripted documentaries, right, because those are very inexpensive to make. Uh, you'll see them on History Channel, Discovery Channel, or, uh, you know, when history is going through its annual Hitler phase. There are so many documentaries about this. 
of course, the DOD keeps an eye on some of those documentaries, especially if they're about something more recent, like Desert Storm. And they have to because they have to make sure that nothing is being divulged. And I would say, I would argue that is completely above board and that needs to happen because a lot of the people speaking in those things have signed legal agreements that uh, that ha- constrain what they can say. So, of course, they should have final right or refusal there. Well, let's not forget, too, I mean, we've all been involved in podcast projects where we had to license audio, you know, of like archival footage. And oftentimes various networks have very uh, specific criteria for how and when they will allow their footage to be used. I can't imagine the military is any different. And they obviously have a lot of archival stuff as well. So I wonder if uh, possibly... You know, if, you know, your documentary is portraying the military in the right light, you could save a whole lot of money on licensing costs by getting that stuff gratis from the U.S. military. Yeah, quite possibly. Or just go to FedFlix on archive.org and use the public domain stuff that was created with our tax dollars. Actually, it's our mm. parents' and grandparents' tax dollars. Well, yeah, you still have server costs. So we're... <laughs> We, we've got what uh, corporate America calls buy-in. Uh, another thing that happens would be uh, astute listeners, you just heard us say game shows. Yeah, it's true. I'm sorry if you are if you are very anti-military for some reason and you very much love Jeopardy. Well, Jeopardy is also in this big, big bed with Uncle Sam. Price is Right is there. Talk shows like Ellen, if anybody still likes or listens to Ellen, um, or Steve Harvey, those also, all, all of those have military-themed episodes. Surprisingly, one thing here that could be an episode all its own, you could spend a whole hour on this, military-financed and produced music videos. Music videos, uh, they come out, like there's there's a bevy of them that comes out every day, especially on YouTube. Uh, and there's a great piece by a vice journalist named Matthew Galt, who says the following, from China to Russia to Iraq to the good old US of A, militaries love spending money to produce lavishly surreal music videos. I'm going to tell you something. There are some hardworking folks on production and on camera, on mic, in these videos on the US side. But for my money... If you want to watch the really, really elaborate, weird ones, check out the ones from other countries. Azerbaijan, for some reason. Uh, China, Russia. Uh, they all got really into hip-hop, too. I'm not going to say it's all good. Maybe some is lost in translation, but um, but they're not pinching pennies on it. These are big well, certainly productions. A, certainly a good way to reach a different audience, you know, that might have a, a, a tempered view of the military. Um, and it's essential. I mean, I, don't, I wouldn't go so far as maybe to call it propaganda, but it's, it's approaching that or it can approach that, right? For sure. I mean, Katy Perry joins the Marines in one particular music video. The Air Force, and I did not know this, has a punk cover of its official theme song. The Air Force also has an official band. I think their name is like Maximum Impact or something like that. Oh, that's so metal. Yeah, right? And of course, this is something I imagine... uh, the four of us are going to be returning back to later in the show. But of course, video games, that should be a less surprising outlet. I mean, it is very difficult to look at some of the, uh, some of the world's most famous video games and not imagine the military taking interest here. Although I will say, um, one note, this was this was an aspect of media where the military really struggled at first. Yeah, but the military has been interested in simulating 
anything that they could consider like a war game or, you know, training or, uh, to, you know, for pilots to fly an aircraft to tank operators to all this stuff. They've been interested in making a simulation version for a long time of their operations. And, you know, it should be no surprise that they wanted to get in the game as soon as they possibly could. And uh, we just made a quick note here. You may have heard of, heard of it before. We've mentioned it before on this show, but a little video game called America's Army that made its first version debut, I think, in 2002. And then there were several versions. The latest one I'm aware of is called America's Army Proving Ground, and it went into beta in 2013, came out and officially released in 2015. But uh, it's an actual game created, developed, and published by the U.S. Army. And this is completely legal. There's mm-hmm. not, this is above board. Uh, there's nothing wrong with this. And this is just one example of other things. But what I like about this example, Matt, is it's more overt and it's more apparent because we, we get into the sticky stuff when we leave the realm of transparency. And that's where we get to what I, in my mind, is the bloody multi-billion dollar question here. What exactly is Uncle Sam and other global versions of Uncle Sam getting in return for this? Are they investing, are they really investing billions and billions of dollars worth of labor and manpower and equipment just to make sure stories are accurate and to keep an eye out for leaked information? The answer is absolutely not. They get much, much, much more than that. And we'll tell you exactly what they're getting or hope to get after a word from our sponsor. Join Metro. They help you stay ahead of the game with nada, yada, yada. That means no contracts, no credit checks, and no surprises. Outsmarting yada, yada means, uh, you know, taxis and stuff. Shady subscriptions. Did you guys ever order something online and you thought it was just like a one-time purchase, but then you found yourself subscribed. Yeah. I had to call and stop payment on something because I had subscribed to it through Apple pay. And even though I had like put a new card on there, it still was uh, tied to whatever card was associated with my Apple pay. So I had to like go through this whole process of getting it pulled. It was really, really annoying. Well, that'll never happen with Metro by T-Mobile because you don't take yada yada in life. And you're not going to take yada yada from your wireless provider. Metro has no contracts, no credit checks, no surprises, and nada yada yada, helping you stay ahead without compromising on things you love the most. Stop by one of over 6,000 Metro stores nationwide. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to the Ronettes' Be My Baby and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Hey, Sarah, I love that spring break vlog you posted on Zigazoo. OMG, you watched it? Yeah, it was edited so well. I think you're so talented. Social media interactions are only positive when you use Zigazoo. Zigazoo is the world's largest and safest social media network for kids. Your kids can upload their content and see what their friends are up to. With Zigazoo, they can create videos, enter to win prizes, and try out the latest dances and trends. There's no commenting, no text messaging, and everything is 100% human moderated. Plus, all community members are real, verified kids just like yours. There are no bots, trolls, or AI. Because Zigazoo is about one thing and one thing only, and that is fun. Try out Zigazoo this spring break and let your kids share your vacation vlogs and best edits with their friends safely. Download the Zigazoo app today. That's Z-I-G-A-Z-O-O. Here's where it gets crazy. It is so much, so much more, so much more dangerous than just like accurate depictions. Like it's not someone going on set just to say, okay, that means we need to make sure that's an Abrams tank. Uh, it's not just someone going onto the set of a, you know, a, a History Channel documentary about. Uh, the Iranian revolution and saying, okay, well, CIA says we can't technically say this guy's name, so let's call him Marty Finkelbeans or something like that. (laughs) (laughs) Those are cute, but that's not not near what it is. It is, um, we dropped the P word just a little bit earlier. It is a direct avenue to the hearts, minds, and future decisions of millions of people. Well, after all, if they just wanted an authenticity consultant, they could get a retired military person that could just, you know, keep an eye on it and make sure they got all the beats right or, like, everything looked accurate. So this is something more than that, isn't it? Uh, very much so, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point, Noel, because uh, I think it would be easy and, in the long term, a little less expensive to just have a retired military member or an historian on 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 the uh, on the set or in the writers room of a World War II film to be able to raise their hand and say uh, I I hate to be that I hate to be that guy but Hitler was the bad one. And then someone one of the producers is like great point. Great point Herman. Um all right, we'll do we'll do some rewrites. We'll do some rewrites, but this is coming out in March still, okay? So everybody hustle. You're right. Uh the military helps out with these productions with that one big, with one or two big caveats, and those are where the problems are found. First caveat is the military helps out with these productions so long as, and only so long as, the end result makes the military look great. A powerful cavalry, world's savers, America's police in a way, uh, and this... Um, you know, you can have problems with this and you can you can point out rightly that the U.S. military has not always been the good guy or has not always uh, been saving the world, uh, you know, depending on who you ask. But it does make sense, doesn't it? Why would you why would you give all these people all this stuff if they were going to take all of your your individuals, all your all your gadgets and your equipment and they were and all your expertise, of course, and then they were just going to make you look terrible. Right. How are you going to go to your superiors? How are you going to end up being called into the Joint Chiefs or something? And then you're the person who greenlit uh, the Coast Guard sucks. 
or whatever, and you gave them billions of dollars worth of equipment. Like, of course, you're not going to do that. That makes sense to me. Yeah. And, and it's like, you know, we've worked in spaces called like branded content, for example, where say you're working very closely with a brand to make a show or a movie or something. And it's sort of an advertisement disguised as pop culture or as cinema or as a podcast or whatever. Uh, when you work directly with those folks, they are very protective of how that brand is portrayed. Um, and, and this is no different. There's another thing here. It's not like the military is getting a profit as in points on the the, the how well the film yeah, does, right? right? Yeah, yeah right. like gro- points on whatever the, the film takes in, right? It's not like the military is getting that kind of deal. At least I'm aw- unaware of it if they are getting some kind of thing like that. And I don't know how you'd handle that when it comes to, would it be a donation to a branch of the military or something? I don't know. But what with, what they are getting many times is something called like a final look or um, they get, you know, they get say on the final cut, essentially, mm-hmm. where like that's what we're talking about. They'll be in the room with the editors and the director and they'll be able to say, well, you know, you cannot you cannot do that. You cannot make that choice and show that because it would make us look bad. Sounds like a devil's bargain, though, from a creative standpoint, doesn't it? Like, it would be a nightmare to be that editor with that military liaison <laughs> over your shoulder saying, oh, 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 I guess it's worth uh, its weight in tanks, though, huh? I mean, yes, there is definitely a trade-off here, uh, as there are in all sorts of uh, mutual symbiotic relationships, which, again, is what this is. But uh, I think it occurs in phases. So you've got the script writing idea, right? You want military approval. How do you get military approval? Well, first they want to know what the story is. So is that a synopsis with someone they've worked with before? Like I think a um, a first time film in a franchise or a first time director probably has more scrutiny on them than say like Michael Bay coming in and saying, I want to make Transformers 6. They <laughs> love Michael Bay. Yeah. Then they'll be like, oh, it's Mike. This yeah. is, yeah, we know this guy. We know, we pretty much, and this is not a ding on Transformers films, but we pretty much know how the plot's going to go, right? So we don't have to get a lot of scrutiny. We also know he's going to play ball. <laughs> you know, right. he's not going to like die on the hill of no, we must show this unflattering moment with the commanding officer. Uh, it's not really on the table with the, with a Michael Bay picture. Right. He's not going to shamal on them or anything, but this. Mm-hmm. This all there's another thing that happens here, and I think it's it's something that it well, it's something other critics have brought up, and it's something that we have to take some time to unpack. This provides a potential workaround to other um other types of recruitment that might be legally or ethically or morally sticky uh, when we when it comes to children. Right. So the military in this country is with you in some aspect for a lot of your life, especially if you are uh, a young man. Right. Uh, This this uh, think of G.I. Joe's. Right. I mean, the days of lead soldiers were famous like this happens in other militaries across the world, too. It's weird for it not to happen is probably the best way to put it. And the, the films especially as we're such a media-driven culture, the films can function as recruitment ads. You know, anyone over, anyone who is like 13 or older can watch a PG-13 movie, right? 
you can't go into the recruitment office legally and sign up for the military, but uh, they can be sending messaging to you, perhaps even the kinds of uh, implications, where they'll come up later, uh, about the benefits of joining up, the responsibility and the nobility of it, just by, you know, in a way that you don't consciously understand. And that's, that's where it gets dangerous. And also, of course, we need to say this. The armed services are tremendously important. Uh, they do a lot of good work. And this should not be taken as a ding on uh, the people or the groups involved here. Maybe as, maybe as a little bit of ding on a Hollywood. They got their own problems. This is, this is functionally like, like it's easy if you're a kid. In the U.S., it's easy for you to be nine years old, especially now when so many children are growing up native to the Internet and already inundated with information. It's easy to be like nine years old, see a straight-up propaganda film from World War II and think, geez, that's weird. And in no small way is it kind of uncomfortably racist. I'm not on board with this, but then that same nine-year-old might see um, – might see a film that does some of the stuff we're describing. And to them, that's just super cool, right? Oh, yeah, exactly. Uh, and, and like we mentioned at the top of the show, it does start to enter into the realm of light propaganda, uh, which we know is a powerful thing. Uh, Griffith's Stephanie Stockwell and Adam Muir had this to say about it. Quote, the military have always found a use for entertainment. Recruiting songs and marching songs prepared the soldier's mind to override the self-preservation mechanism in the heat of battle. Propaganda has always been best served as entertainment. Uh, yeah, even, you're right. It's, it, even things like marching songs, which, which in the early days of the military were a very functional thing that allowed the military to communicate with different uh, battalions and different groups. But it also, uh, they were very patriotic and they instilled people on the battlefield with this like something greater than myself kind of vibe. And when they really bought into it, it made them uh, better soldiers and made them, you know, borderline unstoppable. Well, I mean, stoppable by like bullets and stuff, but in their minds, they were willing to, you know, go over the top. Right. Because you're part of something bigger than yourself. I mean, I don't know if this happens to everybody, but um, in, in my past, it was, it was normal for people to have, instead of lullabies that were sung to them, you were hearing marching songs, you know, one, two, three, four, and so on, which... No, uh, that, that was just you, Ben. Sorry, well, man. <laughs> I, I think it was a lot of people. But the, the lyrics also haven't aged very well, so we're not going to put those out uh, in the ether today. But, but you're right. So the question then is, is this a viable and effective recruitment tool? The answer to that is yes. Even if it's even if it's a little difficult to measure the performance, we know it works uh, because it continues to be employed. Uh, however, the next question is: Is it ethical? Is it propaganda? Is propaganda always bad? the The thing is, the from Griffith University, Stockwell and Muir, the most important thing they say in that quote, in my mind, is that prop is. What you just said, no, propaganda has always been best served as entertainment. People don't like to be lectured, right? People often hate learning stuff. People want to be entertained. So a preachy, stuffy lecture about the importance of military activity, even if it's Dwight Eisenhower coming back and doing a whole 180, 
and saying we need this stuff around. It can come off as like this boring political screed, but a movie with kick-ass explosions and fight scenes and like um, model-level attractive people or a gut-busting comedy or an odd couple, will they, won't they, romance with a human interest story that's just like pulling at your heartstrings left and right, that impacts your mind in deep, abiding ways that you are 100% not fully conscious of. It, the association game is so, so strong. Well, and look what the military models their actual proper ad campaigns after. Things like Army of One, you know, it very much look like a video game, look like you're playing a video game. They're like checking these boxes of these pop culture depictions of the military in cinema and television and video games and selling it to you that way, selling you that image of military service. Well, and, and then... Just put into it the the psychology that takes us to the theater in the first place or gets us to turn on Netflix or Prime or whatever. Our desire to identify with some character, right? And if that character, the protagonist, whoever we're identifying with is, you know, a military personnel or thinking about joining the military or uh, a veteran of some kind, like, and we place ourselves as the viewers, the listeners, whoever, whatever medium it is. And we can we can see ourselves in that role that can also provide something for the military. Oh, sure. It's an everyman argument, right? That thing I see on the screen I identify with. That's me. Aren't I heroic? Says the uh, says the audience member. And there's then then there's a cathartic aspect to watching that victory. Right. And it's something that you will recall later uh, when you are in the situation yourself. And then we see this other pattern. So I mentioned this earlier, but I didn't mention it as a question. I should phrase it as a question. Why does Hollywood seem to go through phases of depicting certain enemies? And Hollywood even isn't that accurate. We should say, why does the zeitgeist go through these phases? Because it happens in video games too. Like take like the perennial bad guy in a Western war film is going to be the Nazis. Uh, also, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, another DOD production. Uh, this, this question is easily answered with Nazis. First, they're easy to use because everybody can agree <laughs> they were yeah. monstrous and they did monstrous things. But also, second, they are extinct as a state-level organization. There is no way for them to, to like object to their characterization, even if that characterization is like inaccurate. And when I say inaccurate, I'm not being a Nazi apologist. I'm talking about like the schlocky horror films where they say, you know, secretly the Nazis were really using this ancient evil from this well in Bavaria and turning people into zombie beetles or whatever the plot of those things might be. That's actually the plot of several, I think, that I just sort of smooshed together. Uh, but you know, and, like Hell, and then Hellboy one of the characters Nazis. becomes a walrus for some reason. Right, right, right. Well, that was a, an integral moment in the plot. <laughs> it's a SS walrus. It's also like one of the only ones that still works and isn't like a bad look. I mean, look at Disney military propaganda cartoons that had like you know Asians depicted in really, really offensive, terrible ways. Those uh, do not age well and are essentially disavowed by you know the Disney company unless you go to the Disney Family Museum, which is run by the trust of of the Walt Disney family. But Nazis are still kind of fair game. Yeah. You know, uh, the thing that's important to notice here is that we're saying Western war films. 
Like, if you look at North Korean propaganda, can you take a wild guess at who plays the role of the Nazis there? Yeah, it's it's Uncle Sam. It's it's very, very weird. And the story of the guys who acted as the troops in those films is also very weird. Um, please do check it out if you have an interest. We saw the Soviet army start playing this role in times of growing international tension during the Cold War, right? We so now, now Nazis are old beans, but the, the real antagonists are the Soviets. And do you know who's going to save us in the third act? That's right, the U.S. military. Uh, so it's kind of... Or just capitalism in general. Or just capitalism in general. Or just the <laughs> monopoly man comes through, and this time he's packing, right? Yeah. Uh, but, but this... Um, What's interesting about this is, you know, Joseph Campbell would argue that most stories are the same story. You know what I mean? Like the concept of story is kind of like the concept of ordering pizza. You get different toppings on it, but you're still eating pizza. Um, I don't know if Joseph Campbell, I don't know his stance <laughs> on pizza. But, but you see I thought he was going to make soup, like different or ingredients in a soup. There we go. No, no. Yeah, soup <laughs> makes more sense. That on so many levels, unlike the timeline, it makes sense. The nominative determinism. Yeah, you nailed it. Okay. Strike that pizza thing. Soup. We're working live. Uh, it's still soup is the point. So what you see when you see a lot of these war films and anybody who's familiar with story structure, like a reader of Save the Cat or Hero with a Thousand Faces, you know this in film as well as uh, in many world traditions the story has a lot of the same beats. You just have different people or entities slotted in. So it's not hard. It's not difficult to slot in, especially in work of fiction, to slot in a different thing. That's why you'll see in the days of the war on terror, various terrorist organizations filled this role. People are no longer fighting uh, Nazis in the Middle East. Now they are fighting, um, now they're fighting things like ISIS. Right. And in again, in these works of fiction, the argument here, this applies to real life, video games, music, other media. But the argument here is, are these productions following real world events? Are they mirroring and responding to real world events or are they in some way priming the pump? Are they pushing these events? It's a question we'll tackle after a word from our sponsor. Join Metro. They help you stay ahead of the game with nada, yada, yada. That means no contracts, no credit checks, and no surprises. Outsmarting yada, yada means, uh, you know, taxis and stuff. Shady subscriptions. Did you guys ever order something online and you thought it was just like a one-time purchase, but then you found yourself subscribed? Yeah, I had to call and stop payment on something because I had subscribed to it through Apple Pay. And even though I had like put a new card on there, it still was uh, tied to whatever card was associated with my Apple Pay. So I had to like go through this whole process of getting it pulled. It was really, really annoying. Well, that'll never happen with Metro by T-Mobile because you don't take yada yada in life. And you're not going to take yada yada from your wireless provider. Metro has no contracts, no credit checks, no surprises, and nada yada yada, helping you stay ahead without compromising on things you love the most. Stop by one of over 6,000 Metro stores nationwide. 
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Zigazoo has made me zigzag. What I mean by that is I swore I would never let my kids on social media, but now I'm setting them loose on Zigazoo. Before I found Zigazoo, I believed all social media was inappropriate for kids, but I feel great about my kids being on Zigazoo. Videos are moderated by actual people before being added to the feed. Zigazoo is a space for kids to post videos they've created and to share them with other kids just like them. And since there are no comments or messaging, you don't have to worry about mean comments on your kids' videos. And you need parental consent before joining Zigazoo. Bottom line, it's a space that prioritizes data safety for kids. Oh, but don't take my word for it. Zigazoo is KidSafe COPPA certified. So weigh everything Zigazoo has to offer. Maybe you'll zigzag too. Zigazoo, a social network for kids. Download the Zigazoo app today. We've returned. Fed, before you jump in, yes. I just, the last thing you said before we went to a break, uh, applying it to video games and all this other media, talking about the, the various enemies, I was thinking about the Call of Duty franchise and how it began with World War II with the Nazis. Then you can watch it jump forward to the Cold War. You can watch it uh, jump to terrorists. You could watch it. It's so interesting the way it kind of goes. It jumps around to like three enemies, basically. Uh, it's either Russians of some sort, Soviets of some sort, Nazis, and terrorists of some sort of, of a Middle Eastern Ooh. country somewhere. That's just how it always functions. Those are the three. Those are the three. It's the Holy Trinity, huh? The, and zombies. Uh, I forget about zombies. And zombies. Well, zombies like toward the end, right? <laughs> Usually. Well, yeah. And some of them I think are Nazis. Correct me if I'm wrong on that, but I, I think they are. Mm. Well, this is, this is, uh, this leads us to the next question, which is maybe a sensitive topic for some of us in the audience today. Uh, we talked about the power of propaganda, right? A clear motivator for this practice. But what about the problem of recruitment? Because in a way, the military entertainment complex is meant to solve this problem. Any experienced commander is going to tell you that a military force can only be as good as the individuals in it, only as good as its soldiers. And every military in the world that does not have an active conscription kind of policy or law spends a huge amount of time and money figuring out how to recruit people, overwhelmingly historically young men, into their ranks. Like, how do we, how do we convince you that it is your duty 
and indeed your honor and your opportunity to possibly die for people who in future generations may not appreciate your sacrifice. Like this is, this is a, this is a rest of your life kind of situation. This is a career. This is a calling. This is a duty. I accidentally reinvented the name Call of Duty. I am so yep. sorry. But, um, <laughs> I heard you do it. <laughs> I didn't mean to. But, uh, but you know, it's a question you have to have because you have to, you have to be recruiting people. People are aging out of militaries, right? Uh, people are maybe experiencing injuries that make it such that they can no longer serve even if they wish to. So you have to find new people. And it turns out that a blockbuster film can be a tremendously successful recruitment tool. Like imagine, okay, this is an example we'll just make up. So you're a kid, you're watching one of those World War II era films. What are good World War II era films? There's a thin red line, right? Um, Band of Brothers, What's that other one? There's another one. There's so Band of Brothers is like a, a special, right? Band of Brothers has it's a HBO bunch of different movies, is it not? Oh, yeah, I'm, it's like a it's like a Private mini series. That's, that's the one. Uh, so you see any of these, and uh, or, or um, another example of a war film would be Dunkirk, right? Uh, these these are very high production, high value films, you know, and. Uh, in many ways, they, they, they are accurate and don't shy away from the violence that people encountered. But let's say you're a kid watching this. Maybe you're even a little young for it. So this is serious, shocking stuff you're seeing. And while you're watching it, you're imagining one of your older relatives who had told you about his time fighting with the Allies in World War II. Again, people tend to want to be part of something larger than themselves. So this movie may have been more than a diverting hour and a half to two and a half hours. This, this film may have just made that kid feel like he is pursuing his destiny, that it is his fate to become the next in a long line of people fighting to make the world a better place. And I'm not saying any of that is untrue. That very well may be true. But the kid learned about it through a blockbuster film. Yeah, I'm, I'm remembering that movie Pearl Harbor now. Um, yeah, Ben Affleck. That was Michael right? Bay, wasn't that Michael Bay? I I don't remember who directed it. Yeah, I just I remember that iconic scene, and you know when it's well, I don't. I I honestly don't remember much about the movie besides there were nurses involved. Ben Affleck was there, and they spent a lot of money on you know the depicting the attack on Pearl Harbor. Yeah, a but lot it's a money. big flag waving tentpole movie, you know, that got slammed critically because of that very fact. It was almost like cloyingly that thing. Yeah. Uh, and that's I think why Michael Bay is such a popular choice for some of these situations because he, you know, we know where we the military know where we stand with Michael Bay. And without uh without diving into the ideation and the genesis of that film, uh, there's a fair question to ask, you know, was it Michael Bay's original idea or was he asked to join the team? Which is, again, again, not insidious. That happens all the time with directors. A studio has a script they really like and they have a director. They really, they have a dream director they really want to work with and they want to see if they can get that person on board. And they've got one more picture to make with Affleck according to his deal. So, I mean, yeah. Right, right. Uh, the Affleck deals, they've just wreaked havoc throughout the industry. So studies show that there are numerous factors leading to 
an increased likelihood of military recruitment. What we mean by that is that if you look at like if you look at a map of the U.S. and its various territories, uh, you will see there are a couple of things that correlate with someone's likelihood to join the military. Uh, some of these things include um, include stuff like a painful socioeconomic background, right, leading to a lack of a viable long-term economic future. Uh, the most apparent example to a lot of people nowadays would be something like, how can I afford to go to college? You know what I mean? How, how, how on earth am I supposed to compete with those families who have intergenerational wealth and started a college fund for their kid when the kid was like negative two years old? And now, you know, now I have to try to make my own way working three jobs, right? Uh, how and unfortunately that is very common and again not everybody has to go to college i think that's a myth that's been sold to the american public in particular but there are other like there are other factors like have you do you come from a military family things of that nature all of those things however they exist uh with a number of their own caveats right like not that what this means is that every recruitment act you make or endeavor you you set upon is going to have to target people in some way that may exclude other people you wanted to target, right? So if you have, for instance, if you have uh, solely English language ads, you're going to be missing part of the demographic, right? And that's what makes the media so powerful because the military is very much aware of the fact that everybody watches something, Right. You, you can't yet say everybody plays something, although I think you can in the future. But right now you can say everybody watches something. And that means that investing in media in this way cuts across all those social, demographic, financial boundaries. You are speaking to everyone at this point. Uh, that is something that is tremendously powerful, but it's also been used in sneaky, sneaky ways. And there's, there's an example, Matt, uh, that you found, uh, and we talked a little bit off air about that I, I recall, but I, I really think we should explore this. I think we owe it to everyone to talk about this one. Yeah, I, I think this is the best example, at least that I was able to find when it comes to sponsoring at least or partnering maybe with an IP, an intellectual property and a big budget film franchise for recruitment purposes. Maybe not specifically for that, but dang, finding a way to really utilize recruitment in the promotion of a film. So we have to jump to 2016 and look at the, yes, it is the sequel to Independence Day, that 1996 movie that lives in all of our hearts as uh, as children of, at least for me, of the 80s, uh, welcome to Earth, as, as I would say to all of my friends uh, for a long, long time, except I would do it as Will Smith. Um, the first movie was just very, very popular, right? I mean, you guys loved Independence Day. Yeah, yeah. I did. Oh, I'm yeah. on record in this episode earlier. Okay, I just want to make sure we're all there. Doesn't um, he drop a swear after saying welcome to Earth and then punches the thing in the face? Yeah, yeah, dude. It's yeah. perfect. Badass. Um, so when they, when they made a sequel for this film, part of the marketing and the trailers they would put out, the teasers, it 
one of uh, there are several of these like one of them is a look back essentially a tribute to the quote war of 1996 that happened in the first movie right <laughs> And they create – they do just such a good job world building. Um, they've got all the characters looking back, reflecting, talking about what happened, how they got so far. And one of the main pieces of them reflecting back is this thing called the Earth Space Defense Group. And in this trailer, they create essentially a recruitment video for the Earth Space Defense and they implore you, essentially, as the viewer, as this person who's watching their message in this fa this fake reality, in this world of the movie, to join this thing. And if it tells you to go to a website, and you go to this website, and it's like uh, joinesd.com. That's what it was. If you went there, you could actually play a couple really interesting video games, some simulations based on the movie's world. It's pretty cool. They're like testing you out. But in order to get access to it, you have to give the website access to your Facebook account. Mm. Now, now, this is 2016. Okay. Also, keep in mind, you're not signed into the movie franchise's website. Where you actually are online when you go to that link is you've been redirected to GoArmy.com, which is the U.S. Army's recruitment site. Official. It's the official one. Ding, ding, so, ding. so if you if you watch these trailers and they got they got a ton of clicks, a ton of views for all this this content they were creating for join ESD, uh, it was actually the military capturing intel on viewers. Uh, it doesn't matter how old you are. If you are old enough to have a Facebook account, they could capture your data there. And you'd go through these simulations, video game style, and they were lightly pushing you to join the actual army using these skills because they're testing your skills with these various simulations. Right. It's brilliant. And really, it feels messed up. It feels very messed up. And it's legal. Yeah. Yeah, that's the problem because uh, the way Facebook partnerships of that kind of, of that ilk work, uh, you know, if you've ever been to a website and it gives you a couple of options, it's really giving you the option of where you want, uh, where you want your data sold, right? So sign in with Google, sign in with Facebook, uh, <clears throat> or sign in with email. It takes a second, but there's some great throwaway email services you can use for that too. Uh, if you, if you prioritize this. So this happens. And it's not illegal, but it is sneaky and it's not a super great look. I think we can all agree on that, especially consider like if you're a parent and your kid is on that website and then later you start getting these mailers about the army addressed not to the household, but to like your 14 year old, then you're a little freaked out if that if that happens. We're not saying that definitely did. Uh, well, but, but think about think really, really think about it, guys. It's. If if they came right out and the director said or there was a big title screen like this trailer is presented to you by the United States Army, uh, this is recruitment material. <laughs> like parents probably wouldn't ever allow their kids to watch it. Maybe right. they would. I don't know. Well, then it seems less like entertainment, right? It's more overt propaganda. And and one thing you can one thing you can see in these films is that especially in feature films. In the credits, at the end of the film, you will see acknowledgement. You're never not going to see that if the army's involved or if the military services are involved. But here we go. So we've described things that are perfectly legal, 
have some troubling potential. Uh, there have been times, just like with the Independence Day sequel trailer, where these things went a little wrong. Uh, but the thing, the thing here that should bother you is that it's not, it's not necessarily the process or the existence of this phenomenon. As Dennis Reynolds would say, Because of the implication. We did it. We finally, thanks to Codename Doc Holliday, we finally squeezed an actual Always Sunny Philadelphia quote in there. <laughs> don't sue us, guys. They're, they're yeah. wealthy now. They don't, they don't need our money. We um, gave you our money already, okay? Jeez. We did. We did. <laughs> uh, but yeah, the implication, what do we mean by that? Well, if all this is true, and it very much is, is it really that much of a problem? I mean, Hollywood has never been a perfect place. Think of all the other things Hollywood has done, things that are terrible, right? Like aiding sexual assault and uh, sexual abuse for multiple generations and just covering it up forever and ever and ever and ever. I mean, in comparison... You could say this seems somewhat tame, but there are serious lasting issues with this arrangement. Like, here's the question. We've used the phrase slippery slope before. I know some people hate it. I know sometimes it feels cliche, but you have to remember, things are often only called cliche because they are f***ing true. So think about this. There's a slippery slope. At what point does consulting on or influencing the plot of a movie script uh, you know, from checking for accuracy to co-writing, uh, at what point does that slide into an attack on freedom of speech? Like, at what point is, uh, uh, you know, some, someone's creative voice, whether director, scriptwriter, et cetera, what, what, at what point is that silenced? Does this count as the same thing? I would say technically no, but troublingly close. What do you guys think? This makes me worry about the bubble that we're in as you know, United States citizens, as Westerners. Like what ha we've we've seen things that are critical of our country and our militaries, right? Uh, there, there's, there's a whole host of content that is critical in some way of those institutions and those powers. But I wonder if there are still holes in our knowledge just due to where we live and what information we have access to or what is being prevented, what, what, what is being shielded from us just by maybe – I don't think the government would do that, but maybe they do. Maybe that's, that's something that occurs in the same way that other countries shield content from their citizens. Oh, yeah. That's a – Excellent and very disturbing point, Matt. I mean, you're not going to see the controversy about depleted uranium rounds popping up in the next Transformers film, right? Most likely. Um, yeah, because then we're in a situation of the famous unknown unknown. We don't know what we don't know. Uh, and this can, be, this can be dangerous because a less informed public is a less powerful public. And of course, of course, there are things that have to remain classified because people's literal lives are on the line. But again, how do we, how do we navigate that? How do we figure out? I, I don't know. Like, has there ever been, I, I don't know if there's ever been in the history of public declassification in this country I don't think there's ever been something released that made the entirety of the U.S. public go, wow, I wish I never knew that. Let's pretend it never happened. 
people want to know things, even if they are ugly and disturbing, right? I tried. I tried over the weekend to think about this. I, I, I got. I got bupkis. Can you think? Can you guys think of one? Mm. I was just Not wondering the if there's a head. human testing thing. But I think we all. I think you know when Tuskegee experiments came out when it when the knowledge of that came out i think that was exactly what you're saying like thank god we know about it but geez uh, i think that's usually the reaction just as you're saying yeah yeah the ugly truth right um will prepare us for the future but second one i think we said this at the very beginning another implication problem here if you haven't wondered about this yet over, over the course of this episode, fellow conspiracy realist who is paying for all this stuff, if you live in the United States, congratulations. It is you. You are, through your tax dollars, in a way, a contributing producer to every single media product of this type. It doesn't matter if you don't like Katy Perry. It does not matter what you think of Michael Bay. And if you, for some ludicrous reason, do not understand the beauty of the original Independence Day, well... No refunds. You already paid for it. <laughs> for sure. Yeah, I, I have to say, I, I don't even remember the existence of Independence Day 2. It's like a Man Mandela effect situation for me. When, when, was this like far removed from Independence Day 1? Or was it like, like how close on the heels of that did it there come? There was some other stuff going on in the news. It was in 2016. Um, the election like took over everything. I don't know if you guys remember. Uh, it took over everything. I don't remember anything else that happened in 2016. Oh, it's got Brent Spiner in it. I remember that part. Yeah. Okay. He's, he was, he's back at Pullman, hanging out. Uh-huh. Getting, like, choke-possessed by aliens. Uh, yeah. Oh, that's right. You're right. So many things have happened since 2016. You know, I was just thinking earlier this morning, uh, we were, we're recording this on March 1st. It just hit me. It's March again. Isn't that weird? Anyway. I need uh, to that, pay for my vehicle's tags. Oh, no, man, I need to get on that. <laughs> right, right. And I think we need to, I think we might be close to wrapping today, but uh, let's let's give uh, some words from, back to, you mentioned them earlier, Noel, uh, Stockwell and Muir at Griffith University. They say the following, the real danger for the entertainment business, which has for so long enjoyed the benefits of free speech, is that it is now in danger of becoming an agent for the closure of debate. We depend on the media to use their freedom of speech to allow a variety of opinions to circulate. And of course, that can be that can be dangerous when those opinions are things like hate speech or someone saying, you know, we're we're going to blow up the Smithsonian uh, as uh, uh, to rally the cause for the Flat Earth Society of Northeastern District of Columbia or whatever. Uh, that That's true. Again, there's a, there's a slippery slope here, but we have to ask ourselves what the responsibility of these folks entertaining us is. But either way, make no mistake, this is a clear successor to the complex that Eisenhower warned us about all those years ago, and it is not going away. It is going to continue evolving because it is successful. In fact, you know, I was thinking about I can't remember what it, which show this was, you guys, but remember when we talked about the growth of AR advertising? I feel like the U.S. military and Uncle Sam is already much further along this path that a lot of corporations are going to end up taking. I'm sure. 
You know, I, 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 what, what I mean by that is I, I think people might see a lot of films, which again might objectively be good, uh, good films, and then they might not realize that they are in some way being served an ad. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. That's where we go. We're gonna, I think we're going to see more and more tacitly sponsored video game products. And then again, we'll see more war films that claim to follow the pulse of the zeitgeist. But what story are they telling you? Is it the one the director wants you to know? Or is it one the military wants you to hear? I don't know. What do you, I mean, what do you think? How involved should the DOD or any government agency of any country uh, be in the creation of mass media entertainment? We didn't even talk about the CIA film companies. CIA's in this too. Oh, yeah. Is it? <laughs> Oh, man, I swear to you, we've covered some of this before just in talking about propaganda and the military, but not not in this depth. And, and it is worth your time to look deeper into this stuff, especially when you watch anything or you play anything or you listen to anything where the military is involved. Just keep keep your ears and your eyes open to what story you're actually being told outside of what the plot you know, the, the baseline plot is giving you or what the protagonist is saying. Uh, like Battleship, right? That's oh, an yeah. amazing film. And a lot of people were surprised <laughs> that the Navy produced it. <laughs> <laughs> well, even the, the Tom Hanks one that came out not long ago, I think we named dropped this name dropped this one not that long ago. What was it called? Greyhound, where, where he's on a battleship and he's fighting with a U-boat, I think. Uh, he... Tom Hanks just is fighting with this U-boat. Uh, no, but it, it's... <laughs> it's like an Ahab white whale situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, also has an appearance from uh, lesser known Hanks' son, Chet Hanks, uh, who, who is probably more known for his uh, fake Rasta Patois gaffes uh, than he is for his acting. But uh, I, I follow him on Instagram and he made a post about, check out my dad's new movie. You can see your boy here as a sonar operator in one scene. Nice. There you go. There you go. You can also just see the actual, you know, actual Navy stuff. Another thing to put into context here, when you're making an historical movie like that, it is often the director's choice or the studio's choice or the writer's choice to be as authentic as possible. So, you know, working directly with whichever branch of the military, in this case, the Navy to get the actual ship or the actual, what the guns actually looked like, even if it's all CGI, you know, working directly with an institution like that, uh, to, to get those things right. I mean, that's, that to me is right, I guess the right thing to do, but, uh, it's still, it's still weird and it, it blurs the lines. So maybe, maybe we say, uh, the issue here is not necessarily that it's happening, but the issue is that there is potential uh, for there, there's potential for damaging effects to come about as a result of this. There's potential for this practice to, in the future, have consequences. Uh, and how would those consequences come to bear? They would come to bear in the absence of transparency. So, there, like whenever the whenever there's a hidden hand. That's when things start to get dicey. And in some cases, there's very much a, there's a hidden hand here. And it's not, ne- look, it's not necessarily that these offices of public affairs are some kind of cloak and dagger outfit right now. It's just that the public seems largely unaware of what's happening. Well, and, and, and it's a, it's a choice that the film production companies and studios have to make. Like we said, it's a, it's a trade-off. They can either, you know, foot the bill for their own 
tanks or manufacture them, fabricate them, you know, make their own version of this stuff or CGI it, or they can, you know, get a big break on their budget by working a little more closely with these offices, right? Yeah. Yeah. They can just sweet it. They can just sweet it. Get some cardboard tanks. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, so who's that director? Uh, Michelle Gondry? Michelle Gondry, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's what I always think about. Um, we're also not saying that joining any branch of the military is wrong. We are just saying it should be an educated, informed choice, right? right. That's all we're saying. Because, it, I mean, <laughs> there are varying levels of danger to being enlisted in any arm of the military, but it is, it is much more dangerous than a lot of other occupations. That's I think that's why some of this feels insidious because the, the end user, the, the, the kid that ends up signing up or enlisting needs to understand really what they're getting into. And it's not a video game and it's not some war story where you're the hero. To me, that's the whole point of, of being slightly against that stuff. Yeah, informed consent. Nail on the head, I'd say. Dolce et decorum est. Uh, That's our show, folks. Uh, We can't wait to hear what you think. What should the role of the DOD be here? What was your experience? Do you feel like uh, the depiction of uh, the military whether in the U.S. or a different country, do you feel like it influenced maybe your decision to join or not join? If you did join, do you feel like um, do do you feel like it was the right decision? Do you feel like you were maybe misled? Uh, there's no right or wrong answer. We just want to hear from you, and we try to be easy to find online. That's right. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter, where we're Conspiracy Stuff, Conspiracy Stuff Show on Instagram, uh, and if you want to. Circle back to to Facebook, you can join our Facebook group, Here's Where It Gets Crazy, where you can join in on the conversation. Yeah, this is a great topic to discuss on Here's Where It Gets Crazy, so we do highly recommend you head over there if you're cool being on Facebook and, you know, giving them all your information. I thought you were (laughs) just going to say, if you're cool. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, if you're cool. Matt's With going, Facebook. no nerds. I can't get on the Facebook anymore. Yeah, sorry, nerds. No, uh, <laughs> I would never say that. Or if Very I did. nerd. Yeah. Okay. Um, uh, if you don't want to do that stuff, we recommend you give us a call. Our number is 1-833-STDWYTK. You've got three minutes. Those minutes belong to you. Uh, we want them to use them as you will. Uh, it would be helpful to us and perhaps helpful to you uh, to try a, a little bit of structure if, if it makes things easier. First, tell us your name or your cool nickname that you want us to use and whether we can use it on air. Second, tell us the thing you want to talk about. Third, if there's anything that's sort of just a private message for for our crew uh, that you don't necessarily want out there, then that's totally fine. Just save it for the end. And then fourth, and perhaps most importantly, if you have an in-depth topic, topic suggestions for new stuff are, are my personal favorites. But if you have a story that is longer than three minutes, then just write it out. Don't feel like you have to censor nor edit yourself. We want to hear from you in full. And that's why if you have a long story to tell us, we'd love for you to email us. We do read all our emails, even if we can't reply to all of them yet. Uh, how do you get in touch with us? Well, All you do is pull up a phone, a computer, or, you know, a neural implant, depending on when you're listening to this, and uh, you think 
write or type uh, an email out to us at our good old fashioned address where we are. Conspiracy at iHeartRadio.com. Stuff They Don't Want You to Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. That makes us FACET for life now, I guess. (laughs) Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to the Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Sarah, I love that spring break vlog you posted on Zigazoo. OMG, you watched it? Yeah, it was so cool. I think you're so talented. Social media is only positive with Zigazoo, the world's largest and safest social media network for kids. In Zigazoo, all community members are verified kids like yours, and all content is fully human moderated. Try out Zigazoo this spring break. Download the Zigazoo app today. There's plenty to celebrate in March and ex- Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. At- 